0: Hello and welcome to the Innovation Forum Podcast. I'm Bee Stevenson. We're here at Innovation Forum's Responsible Sourcing and Ethical Trade Forum, kindly hosted by Freshfields. And today I'll be interviewing Liz Forster, who is an associate in the global business and human rights team at Freshfields Brockhouse Derringer. Welcome to the podcast, Liz. Thanks, Bee. I thought we'd start, if you could just speak a little bit on the current direction of travel for human rights due diligence legislation.
1: In the past five to ten years, we've seen a real wave of new legislation being introduced around the world that impose obligations on companies in relation to the human rights impacts of their operations. The catalyst for this legislation was really the UN guiding principles, which most people will be familiar with by now. But what that did was, for the first time, set out the expectations that companies will have to think about and take steps in relation to the human rights impacts that they have throughout their supply chains and in their business. And what we saw after the publication of those principles is the introduction of several pieces of legislation that focused on transparency and reporting obligations So, for example, we saw the introduction of the UK Modern Slavery Act in the UK in 2015. And what that did was make it mandatory for certain companies doing business in the UK to publish a modern slavery statement that set out what steps they were taking to identify and to prevent modern slavery in their business. And we saw similar legislation being introduced in California and Australia, But this legislation was quite limited. There aren't really many consequences. If companies don't publish a statement, it's really left to the court of public opinion. They may suffer reputational damage, so it was quite limited in that respect. A few years later, we started to see more onerous and far-reaching legislation being introduced, where companies had to think about broader human rights issues, not just things like modern slavery. A key example is the Duty of Vigilance Law in France, which was introduced in 2017, and that imposed obligations on French companies to think about, certain French companies, to think about identifying any risks, human rights or environmental related, in their operations, and also to publish a mitigation plan, so to take steps to actually address those risks. There were harsher fines for not doing so, so there's the potential for civil liability, and also financial penalties. And we've seen similar legislation, also more onerous, being proposed in the Netherlands, in Germany, Switzerland, Norway, the EU, to name a few. The legislation in the EU is particularly on lots of companies' radar at the moment because it's very broad in scope. This corporate sustainability due diligence law is going to apply to lots of companies both within the EU and outside the EU as long as a certain amount of turnover is being generated in the EU. And it will require companies within scope to carry out due diligence to identify and to mitigate any human rights and negative environmental risks. And interestingly, it doesn't just apply to their direct operations, so it also applies to the operations of any subsidiaries within their control and any direct and indirect business partners with an established business relationship. So it's possible that they're going to have to look quite far down the value chain. And they'll also have to establish a complaints procedure. It's also envisaged that member states will introduce civil fines for non-compliance and it's possible that there'll be civil liability as well. And what might that look like? That civil liability? Depends on the legislation. This is just one of the risks that companies are going to need to think about in terms of the human rights due diligence legislation. Some legislation, as I said, has introduced fines. The proposed German law is going to introduce fines in the worst case scenario of up to 2% of worldwide turnover for non compliance. The Dutch child labour law, as it was initially proposed, had an even higher fine. Worst case scenario, it could be up to 10% of worldwide turnover. Financial penalties are definitely going to become more the norm, I think, in this sort of legislation. And civil liability, that opens it up to people who have sufficient standing to bring a claim against a company in court for failing to comply. We've already seen cases like that in France in particular under the G- duty of vigilance law. And that leads on to the second bucket of risk, if you like, when you're thinking about human rights risks for companies in the legal sense. I think it's quite obvious to most people now that there are reputational and operational risks, but this world of legal risk is quite a new one, I think, for lots of companies to get their head around. One of the most interesting trends in this space has been the rise of litigation or disputes risk. So this is where companies are having to think about the risk of facing legal proceedings brought by NGOs or individuals who are affected by their operations. So who are claiming that they have suffered human rights violations that are some way connected with the company's operations. So I say litigation, but actually this type of legal action can take uh, different forms. So you can get traditional claims in court, for example, but you can also get what we call quasi-litigation. So, for example, national contact point complaints for alleged breaches of the OECD guidelines for multinational enterprises, which broadly reflect the UN guiding principles. And obviously, whatever the forum, these cases can be very damaging for companies, both financially and reputationally.
0: Can you give any examples of this kind of case happening?
1: There is quite a body of case law now, so I could talk for hours about (laughs) the the interesting cases that we're seeing. But to take two particularly interesting trends, I think, from the UK... First of all, there's a case that's going through the UK courts at the moment. It's been brought by over 7,000 individuals who worked on farms in Malawi, tobacco farms. What they're doing is they've taken to court a group of multinational tobacco companies based in the UK, and they're trying to establish a connection between human rights violations that have occurred on these farms in Malawi and these companies much further up the supply chain in a completely different country. So it's quite interesting to see how they, in that case, are trying to draw that connection. Although it's a novel subject matter, they are grounding their claim in traditional causes of action in terms of English law. So they are using traditional legal concepts, alleging negligence, saying that the companies owed them a duty of care and that they've been unjustly enriched by the tobacco products that have been produced on these farms. And they're not saying that these companies have directly committed human rights violations. They would clearly struggle to do that. But they have said that the companies have facilitated, assisted or encouraged the dangerous working conditions and the exploitative conditions on the farms. And they've also said that the companies weren't necessarily aware, actually aware of the conditions, but that they were at least constructively aware of what was going on.
0: And are judges ruling in their favour?
1: this case is quite early on it's in the early stages but last year the defendants sought to have the case struck out the basis of that application was that they said that the claimants had failed to demonstrate this link between the tobacco produced on the farms and the tobacco companies based in the UK but the judge actually didn't take that argument and at least at the stage of striking out he said that there was at least potentially a clear pathway for the tobacco leaves to end up in the hands of the defendants so There's definitely an openness to hearing this type of dispute.
0: Do you see this kind of civil litigation moving further afield from out of Europe into the US maybe?
1: Absolutely. The UK is just one jurisdiction where companies are facing these sorts of claim. The US, Canada, Australia, several jurisdictions in the EU have faced similar claims. It obviously depends on the legal system. So civil law claims will take a very different shape to common law claims. In the US, for example, we've seen lots of cases from claimants basing their claim in consumer law, so saying that companies have misled them by putting certain information on wrappers and making it seem as though there's no modern slavery in their supply chains. Companies are facing proceedings in that respect. There have also been shareholder claims, so shareholders similarly saying that companies have issued misleading statements. In France, I said briefly earlier, there's been some litigation already under the duty of vigilance law, with NGOs saying that companies have failed to produce the mitigation plans and to mitigate adverse human rights impacts of their operations. I think we're really at the start of a huge wave of litigation that we're going to see this. I think claimants are finding increasingly novel ways of bringing claims against companies.
0: How can companies avoid this kind of
1: litigation? It's a very difficult risk to mitigate. There's only so much companies can do. It might be that a company gets it right, 99% of the time and then the 1% it finds itself a target of a complaint. It is very difficult and the approach will depend on the risk profile of the company. The UNGPs themselves foresee that companies should take a proportionate approach to these risks. If you are a company or if you work at a company that has supply chains in very high risk jurisdictions, for example, or you work in a high risk sector, say textiles or extractives, You are probably already, or if you're not, you should definitely be thinking about doing a risk assessment, a sort of heat mapping exercise to find out where the risks lie in your business operations and supply chains, and then how you are thinking about mitigating any risks that do arise. The reality being that you probably will find some sort of risk, almost all multinationals with large supply chains will have some. Companies should be thinking about what policies and procedures are in place and how they're embedded into the company governance procedures and the culture. That particular piece of advice comes with a health warning, which is that some claimants in the UK at least have been pointing at UK parent company group policies as an indication that they have a duty of care towards individuals who are affected by their overseas subsidiaries operations. So companies have to think very carefully about what they're saying in their public statements. They shouldn't be overly aspirational. They should make sure that any statements and commitments they're making in terms of human rights are realistic. Companies should be thinking about how they're engaging with suppliers. So are they carrying out due diligence on the highest risk suppliers? Are there adequate protections in contracts with key suppliers. So for example, what audit rights do you have with your key suppliers? What rights do you have if a human rights issue is identified? Do you have the right to terminate? Or what rights do you have in terms of publicity and in terms of statements that you're going to make? The same goes for contracts with joint venture partners as well. And more broadly, I think it's really important that companies take a holistic approach to all of this. It shouldn't just be the legal team that's dealing with this, the legal or compliance team. It's really important to get on board stakeholders throughout the organisation, whether that's audit, procurement, human resources, and make sure that if these messages and the importance of these issues are being communicated through the company, that way it's really becoming embedded and any steps that companies do take will be a lot more effective.
0: So it's kind of a cultural shift in a company that's needed? Exactly, exactly. Okay, well, thank you for that practical guidance. And thank you very much for coming on the podcast and to Freshfields for hosting the event.
1: You're welcome.